when I was a kid, I didn't read much, but I did read Nancy Drew books and yeah. I would read them in like a whole day. Even though I was a pretty slow reader, I would like get up in the morning and I'd read all day and I'd forget to eat lunch. <laughs> hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 320. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading into a little literary matchmaking. Readers, my new kids book journal, My Reading Adventures, is officially available to pre-order. This new reading journal designed for kids 8 to 12 comes out August 2nd, and when you pre-order your copy now, you'll receive limited edition bonuses that both you and your young readers can enjoy. A set of custom stickers your child can use in their journal, or right now, an exclusive list featuring my top picks for kids, and a free downloadable guide for parents to help you encourage your young reader. Plus, pre-ordering My Reading Adventures Now means your journal will arrive in your mailbox right in the midst of the back-to-school madness, and you can thank your past self for bringing a little more delight into a busy season. Learn more and pre-order your copy at modernmrsdarcy.com slash kidsjournal. That's modernmrsdarcy.com slash kidsjournal. Readers, there's a special joy in finding a reading buddy who likes to talk about books as much as you do and shares your reading preferences. Today, I'm talking to a father-in-law, daughter-in-law duo who've discovered their literary similarities and established their own informal book club of two. Gabby and Vern Wright have enjoyed a close relationship as daughter-in-law and father-in-law since Gabby married into the family a decade ago. But things really started to gel the first time Gabby lent Vern a book from her personal library. That literary loan blossomed into a practice of reading together. And since then, they've enjoyed exploring their mutual appreciation for thought-provoking books that blend beautiful prose with contemplative stories. My conversation with Gabby and Vern today unexpectedly results in three matched pairs of book recommendations to bring them double the fun as they select their next joint read. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's get to it. Gabby and Vern, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk with you all today. I think this is a what should I read next first, and that is our first father-in-law, daughter-in-law pair. Here at What Should I Read Next headquarters, we were so excited to get your all submission form. So thanks for taking a chance. And Vern, I believe Gabby is pulling you along for the ride here. Is that right? Uh, She was the one that made the proposal, but I was really glad that she felt free enough and secure enough to go ahead and make the proposal and send it in. When she told me that she had done that and she asked me about being on the show, I was all for it. And I was very enthusiastic about coming on with her. Gabby, tell me the history of how you all ended up here today together. Got married about eight years ago. Vern's been my father-in-law for about eight years now. For the first few years of my marriage, we lived real close to each other, just like five minutes away. So I got a a lot of chance to get to know him, which was really great. I lost my own father about a year before I got married pretty unexpectedly. I wasn't expecting when I got married to end up being very close to my father-in-law, but that is how it turned out. And it's just been great to have him in my life. And probably about five years ago now, he just was over to our house and asked if he could borrow a book off my shelf, The Catcher in the Rye. Just uh, wanted to catch up on some classics and said he hadn't been reading much fiction lately and don't think he knew what he was getting into. (laughs) I considered it an invitation to recommend him books until the end of time. Once he returned that book, I picked out a different one for him and the rest is history. 
So Catcher was the start of a beautiful reading relationship. Vern, do you remember what you thought about that book? As I remember on the main character there, I was kind of like, wow, this guy keeps getting himself in trouble. Kind of lost, I guess, kind of apathetic. He's in a boarding school and he just kind of seemed to have a life that was going nowhere or kind of going downhill. And perhaps that was just a, a function of the fact that uh, nobody seemed to be reaching out to him or he didn't seem to be uh, forming good relationships uh, with the situations he was in. But I was trying to understand the character, where he was going, what he was trying to do, how he was relating to his sister, how he was relating to his parents. Now, that book has been on the podcast several times, uh, including very recently when it was finally chosen as a favorite by Nicole Fagan. But before then, that book had ended up on the guest Hayes, and that was, in fact, the word they chose. But I'm glad that that is the book that brought you together. Now, before you bonded, beginning with Catcher in the Rye, what were your reading histories like? Vern, have you always been a reader? Yes, I've always been a reader. I uh, Before coming on the podcast, I, I kind of looked over why I read. A lot of it was to make more sense of reality of what I was seeing in the real world. An author that writes even fiction is trying to make uh, more sense of the world and make more order of the world. I obviously would read for information, technical information, reading for assignments in school, right up, of course, from grade school right into graduate school, reading for a sense of comfort or inspiration or encouragement, reading for entertainment, of course. A lot of my reading before Catcher in the Rye or some of the classics were thrillers along the line of Tom Clancy or Clive Cussler. So they were adventure thrillers, a little bit of escape reading, but also a little bit of adventure reading to kind of fulfill a sense of vicarious excitement, <laughs> uh, see the good guys win and get a little of that excitement in my life, at least vicariously. That is good to hear and not what I had expected based on what I know that you and Gabby are reading together now. Gabby, how about you? What is your background as a reader? Well, I think my background is a little different than a lot of the people you have on your show because I actually was not a reader as a child. I did not like reading. And I'm sure a lot of people are feeling encouraged right now because they relate to that most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was a really slow reader. I still am a really slow reader. And so when I was a kid and I was reading, I just didn't feel like I was smart, especially like if we had to do our silent reading assignment in class and every other kid was three pages ahead of me. And Is that how you found out that you were, relatively speaking, not reading at the same pace as your peers? Yeah. Just looking around going, wait a second, how are you on page 12? I was never on the same page as my classmates around me and it just didn't make me feel good about myself to read. Yeah. I just didn't do a lot of it until I was older. I had an interest in writing. So when mm -hmm. I got to college, I started as an English major and I ended up just falling in love with the literature, which is also different than a lot of people who say being an English major ruined <laughs> their reading lives. It actually just like reading the great classics in yeah. my literature classes really kind of turned me on to how great reading can be. And I had some that I loved from uh, my English classes that a lot of people just don't love. Like I read <laughs> Wuthering Heights and I was like, this is amazing. Reading that book was such a great experience for me. And I was slow and I was just a little bit behind in my readings for college. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would speed up. I'd skim a little bit so I could keep up. But that one, I was like, okay, I'm just going to be a little behind on the discussion in class today because I, I have to read this book at the right pace because I like it so much. I want to go back for a moment. So when you were younger, you hated reading because it made you feel like you were not smart. And yet, 
you had this interest in writing, you became an English major because of it. That did a lot for your reading life and really encouraged your love of wonderful books. Mm -hmm. But tell me about the in-between, like what kept you in there? And I'm especially asking because, well, one, I'm personally curious, but also I know a lot of people have been in your shoes and they didn't make it through to the other side or they haven't yet, or they can see a younger reader in their life and they just want to know how they might be able to encourage them to not give it up. I think it was just the quality of the books to sit down with the right book for me made a big difference. When I was a kid, I didn't read much, but I did read Nancy Drew books and I would read them in like a whole day. Even though I was a pretty slow reader, I would like get up in the morning and I'd read all day and I'd forget to eat lunch. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's just that factor of having the right book for me made all the difference. I don't know. I became a tea drinker as an adult too. (laughs) I always say that, you know, nobody doesn't like tea. They just haven't found the right tea yet. And I think that applies to books also. I just hadn't found the right books yet. Okay. And I'm also noticing, maybe I should have noticed this right away, reading on your own and not in a classroom where it's easy to uh, keep your eyes on your own paper, or I suppose your own book really helped a lot. Yeah. Are, Are you all in agreement about the tea as well? Or do you have a different reading beverage of choice? Oh, for me, it's definitely coffee. (laughs) (laughs) So Vern and Gabby, developing this relationship over books, we know it's changed your relationship. I'm wondering how it has also changed, if it has changed, the way you approach your reading when you're not reading together. The the biggest difference for me is that I'm always kind of like looking out for, is this something that Vern would also enjoy? Kind of made me more aware of that difference in taste, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess for me, uh, Gabby put in the profile that triggered me to look over the reading list that I've done. What would I recommend to Gabby of what I have read and looked at over in my life? Gabby, when you're scanning for books, what are the qualities in a book that make you think it might be a good fit for Vern? When I'm thinking about what Vern would like to read and what I'd recommend to him, he likes to read a lot of nonfiction that's, yeah, contemplative, philosophical, theological. I know that's a largely what he likes to read. So I love to find a good fiction book that tackles those kinds of things, you know, tackles philosophy or theology. And I think you'll see that in the favorites that we have. <laughs> yep. We talked about how a lot of the books we've read together have been like missed classics. One of the books on our list was The Age of Innocence by Edith Wharton. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of fits into that like missed classic, but also like philosophical contemplative kind of novel. And then I also pick books that are fun and have some adventure in them. The Scarlet Pimpernel was one of them. Wilkie Collins books and stuff. Oh, that's fun. So today we get to hear about books that you have both enjoyed together. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. How did you all choose these? Well, I chose them. I chose them uh, when I secretly uh, submitted the application. <laughs> um, but I think Vern agreed with my choices. I did. These were the ones that I think were like the biggest hit with both of us. Like I really uh-huh. enjoyed both of them, but they had a lot of those elements that I just said are what I look out for for Vern. One of them in particular, I was like, I need to finish this book so I can give it to Vern. Okay, you have to tell us which one that is when it comes up. I will. I will definitely do that. I I picked ones that I really loved and that were just really good fits for Vern that I think they were my greatest recommendations to him, my most successful ones. Okay, let's get started. Tell me about the first book you both loved. I think at the top there, uh, Gabby, there was Gilead. One of the things that endeared the book to me was this was an older minister who is clearly dying. He's 76. 
He has a young child who is about seven, and he knows he won't survive into the adolescence or the adulthood of this child. So he's writing his memoir to him, essentially, or a letter to describe and pass on some of the things to that child that he wants. And I guess in some sense, what grabbed me about the book was the author's grasp on faith and theology, but it wasn't a a grasp on faith and theology from the normal standpoint of being within the church necessarily, although maybe she is, but uh, just a standpoint of just plain everyday life and plain everyday uh, knowledge of things of faith and of, of maybe how the church runs and how everyday life runs. I appreciated her account of just how he lives daily life, how he lives his um, his relationship with his wife, which has a deep background to it, how he came to have a wife so late in life and how that relationship worked out, which had some poignancy for me, and how he was trying to relate to the other characters in the book, uh, especially one of the other characters who is a, a prodigal son type of character, but also talks about his own family, strange quirkiness to him. He has to try to put in perspective and deal with uh, the history of the area in Iowa, the issues uh, going back into the Civil War that aren't so far removed from them, and they have to figure that out and uh, deal with that. So I I just found the book really fascinating. And I also found it fascinating the way he relates with this congregation and just the everyday ministry he goes into and basically the poignancy of the book. That those are some of the things I, I took from that book and uh, just touching. Yeah, this is the one that I was so excited to recommend to him. <laughs> I was reading it like almost 20 pages. I was like, this book is for Vern for sure. And I need to finish it fast and get it to him. We were living far apart at the point I read it. And I think usually I was passing books on to him just whenever we happened to see him. But I think I mailed this one to him because I had to get it to him. Right. <laughs> just couldn't wait. Yes, you did. With a, with a note in there about some other books too, about but the order that you suggested that I read them in. Yeah, you did. Have you all gone on to read more by Marilyn Robinson? Yes. Vern is a little ahead of me. He, I think he's read all the other books in the, the Gilead world. Um, I have read Jack and Lila, but I have not yet read Home. I've just finished all three. I think I lent you housekeeping. Yes, and I had started that, but put it aside to read Jack. So housekeeping I've yet to get into. It'll be there when you were ready for it. Oh, (laughs) talking about Marilyn Robinson in this world puts a smile on my face, but it's a sad smile. Ah. They're sad books. There's so much sorrow there, even as they are so beautiful. Okay, Gabby, I can see how those works really reflect what you said works well for Vern, the contemplative, philosophical, theological. That was a great place to start. Uh, Tell me about your second, I want to say success, but I don't want to talk about losses in the (laughs) reading life. Tell me about the second (laughs) book you all loved. Um, The second book is The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro. I think this one actually reminded me a lot of Gilead in a lot of ways that it had that kind of contemplative, philosophical bend to it, but it it's just got this real gentle, subtle, slow-moving kind of plot, but there's so much going on within that. You know, really, it's just this story of this butler from, you know, the old Downton Abbey kind of world, but after that has started to go away, you know, post-World War II, and he's kind of grappling with how he spent his life and how to spend the rest of his life, you know, how to spend the remains of the day. Yeah, I just thought it was gentle, subtle, totally was heartbreaking to me. But then it was also really hopeful at the end as well. Vern, how did you experience this one? The central question I thought in that book is, is he going to step out of his boundaries and take risk or is he going to stay within his boundaries? 
with his employer, uh, the question I thought was, am I going to be this butler that's going to make sure that my employer has the control here? I'm going to just set up the household, set up the party, or set up the, the, the conference so that whatever happens at the conference is not my concern, but rather I'm just going to set it up so the principals can do whatever they're going to do. Or am I going to take a hand in this, realize what's happening in the world, realize that there are momentous events happening, and and maybe I should maybe step out of the dutiful servant role and I should actually influence what's happening here. And that's a tension that he grapples with. Should I be the neutral servant or should I be the influencer? And, and, and he's nervous because when it's suggested to him, maybe he should be an influencer. I think this kind of is an ethical dilemma for him. Yeah. I mean, you have a man so wrapped up in his identity that he can't really live and how painful to realize. And then as the reader, you get to watch what happens. Right. He's being called to be more or to maybe risk more and to maybe have more of a relationship with the woman there that has an interest in him or is asking him to be more and do more. And yet, is he going to risk? Is he going to step out of that role? And of course, Ishiguro writes these tales that are so beautifully focused on the character set in the very specific story world, and yet is not just about that character. When he's talking mm-hmm. about um, being called to be more, I love the way you put that, Fern. I can see how that also has all the like little tick marks next to Gabby's characteristics she's looking for when she's looking for books for you. Yeah, another thing about The Remains of the Day and Gilead that I, I think is great for Vernon that's just makes them great books is the the view that they have of history. They're kind of interestingly situated in time and place to have this reflective view on the history that came before them. In the remains of the day, he's post-World War II, and he's kind of looking back at all this time leading up to World War II and um, things that he can see now that people not everyone could see then. I hadn't noticed that, that similarity, but it's like they're set at these hinge moments in history. Yeah. Where, where things are tipping and you can see it. Yeah. 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 And Gilead with him reflecting back on his father's life and his grandfather's life, we get to see a lot of history from an interesting perspective. You know, it, we're getting history, but not like a direct historical fiction. You know, we're not in the middle of like the abolition movement, but mm-hmm. we're getting his reflection on his grandfather's history as part mm-hmm. of that movement. What book did you choose to round out your favorites list? Well, I chose Becoming Mrs. Lewis by Patty Callahan. I can see how that would be a great pick. Yeah. Yes. Biographical fiction is not like something I would normally be interested in, but you highly recommended it uh, in a few different places on your, your blog and your show. So I took a chance on it when it came up on Libby. You know, it was just like, okay, this is available. Anne says it's good. I'll give it a chance. And I loved it. I was, I listened to it in audio and I was just like, riveted. I was listening all the time and really interested to see where it was going. And um, so fascinating. Like I knew C.S. Lewis had this wife uh, later in life, but I didn't really know anything about her. And, you know, I had no idea she was so awesome. (laughs) I guess, you know, reading that book, I was like, you know, C.S. Lewis is this big figure, you know, (laughs) Joy Davidman completely stands up next to him. And, you know, her story is just as fascinating. So much I didn't know. Obviously, um, Vern loves C.S. Lewis. He's his favorite author. And I read this book and I loved it and I had to recommend it to him. So Vern loves C.S. Lewis. Was there any part Mm -hmm. of you that was hesitant to hand this over because 
Alexander McCall Smith, who rewrote Emma for the modern Jane Austen series, said like, Mm -hmm. one messes with the classics at one's peril. People get really upset when you change their favorite authors and beloved novels in ways that they don't approve of or see fitting or so was Mm -hmm. there any anxiety here for you? Yeah, I guess I had that anxiety for myself picking it up like biographical fiction. Is that really something that's worth my time? Wouldn't I be better off just reading the truth, the true story, you know, but Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have any concerns once I had read it. I I think that she does excellent research and I think she really does justice to the characters. And I think I gave a caveat that like, yeah, this is biographical fiction, you know, this not, you know. 100% exactly what happened, but I think it really does justice to the characters and and to C.S. Lewis. And I didn't have to be concerned about it. (laughs) (laughs) And Vern, then you picked it up. And what happened next? It was fascinating. Um, I found that the whole closeness of their friendship was just fascinating, how they became closer and closer friends, how he was initially in their correspondence, giving her some spiritual wisdom and insight, and how that became a closer and closer bond between them. And and as I read the book, I found my heart coming closer to the characters of the book, both C.S. Lewis and Joy Davidman, as they found that they were having a relationship that could finally issue in a marriage. Uh, He realized that she needed to get regularized, I'll use that word, in England for her citizenship status, but also because he found he he was loving her. There are a couple of quotes I noted because they had to negotiate their relationship And he wanted to be very honorable to her. There's one of the quotes in the book, when a man makes a moral choice, two things are involved, the act and the feelings and the impulses inside of him. She found her heart bending toward him. And that's a, it's a great quote to read that is just brings a lot of love and poignancy for the characters, especially when you know, of course, historically, they had a very deep love relationship for the short time they were together. I'm so glad, Gabby, that you stumbled upon it and that you both ended up enjoying that book so much. I'd love to hear about the books that didn't work for you. How did you all choose these and was it hard to do so? Gabby, what's your book? Well, it was not hard for me (laughs) to choose a book I hated. And I, I don't mind using the word hate. My hated book was The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. What made it a bad fit for you? I honestly don't even know where to start. It was like... It was a bad fit for me in almost every way I can imagine. I read this for a book club and I was excited to read it. It's a little different than what I normally read, but the Mm -hmm. reviews were so good. Uh, It was not great for me. I really did not enjoy the prose of this book. It It sounded really pretty on the surface, but if you actually paid attention to what it was saying, it was like, what? (laughs) A bigger problem was just that I did not like the characters in this book at all. I did not feel like they learned or grew much in this book. I thought a lot of the big dramatic moments in the book weren't really earned. It'd just be going along and then it'd be like big dramatic moment, but it wouldn't have a big emotional impact for me because it Mm -hmm. wasn't built up to in a meaningful way. So this is historical fiction fantasy, which is someplace you were willing to go. And you just talked about how you loved becoming Mrs. Lewis, which was Mm -hmm. biographical fiction about a historical character. You felt you were reading about characters who I think it's fair to say were made hard by their circumstances. That was not a place you wanted to hang out. I'm okay with characters that I don't like. But sometimes I can feel when I'm reading a book, like if I'm reading an unlikable character, but the author thinks they're a likable character, <laughs> I read them a little different, you know, than if, if the author is like aware. Maybe if it had been written from a different perspective, it wouldn't have bothered me so much. Uh, something else I'm noticing is that I had been thinking that 
Vern was the one who really liked the beautiful prose and the contemplative and the philosophical, but you're the one who picked up Gilead first. And when it comes to enjoying that kind of writing, you are not excluded from that by any means. Recently, I've expanded a lot more, lots of different genres, but kind of my wheelhouse was like classics and literary fiction. And so that beautiful prose is something I I really enjoy. I mean, you're an English major and you loved it. We'll, We'll remember that. Fern, tell me about a book that wasn't right for you. And was this hard to choose? There was Huckleberry Finn. As I remember back and trying to read it, it was like, oh, wow, I'm going to go into this. This is one of the standard American canon, Mark Twain. You know, this should be an adventure in reading. And as I got into it, I'm thinking, well, I can't believe I don't like Mark Twain. But I think what turned me off as I kept reading was uh, the cynicism. Um, I gave it up (laughs) and gave the book back to Gabby. So that was where I decided to uh, set it aside at that point and and not continue with it. I'd love to hear what you've been reading lately. Uh, Vern, what is there a book you're in the middle of right now? Yep. It's uh, our Life in Code, A Personal History of Technology, Ellen Ullman. The author is a programmer. She is reflecting back on information technology, how it's developed over the years and her personal relationship with it. Also, how it's affected society and how that effects uh, have been maybe for the good, but also how it's had some negative effects. The current chapter I'm in is basically discussing how information technology has kind of developed this idea of it's all about me. Narrow life down to what appeals to me strictly and live that kind of constricted life. And that concerns the author a little uh, a bit. that may be a very uh, dangerous trend to encourage online. What about you, Gabby? What are you reading now? Uh, I'm reading uh, Joy in the Morning by Betty Smith. Yeah. I picked that up on your ebook deals <laughs> recently, and I love um, I love A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. I named my daughter after A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, oh. so I like that book a lot. And so I was excited to pick this one up. I was a little worried it would be A Tree Grows in Brooklyn Redux, you know, that I'd be reading kind of the same book, different furniture. But, um, but yeah, I was really surprised. It's so different. Annie, the main character is really, really different personality from Francie. So that was kind of a fun surprise. And she's, uh, she's newly married to a law student. I was newly married to a law student. (laughs) So there's actually some married to a law student specific humor in this book that I've really been enjoying. Okay. That was Joy in the Morning by Betty Smith. Gabby and Vern, we've talked about what you've enjoyed and what you haven't enjoyed in your books. As we move forward, what are you looking for in your reading lives right now? Probably books that, again, I wouldn't choose for myself, but where I could find a a nugget or a gem or things that would say, wow, that's interesting. Lead to an idea that I hadn't considered before might lead to some discovery or aha moment, whether it's uh, biographical fiction or whether it's uh, nonfiction or whether it's uh, done in story form. And the authors may be using the story as a vehicle to say, have you ever thought of this or you ever mm-hmm. thought of that? Why don't you consider this? Well, it's a little vague, but um... <laughs> <laughs> we can work with vague. Gabby, how about you? Well, one thing I'm looking for in my reading life is just, you know, I love the classics, but I feel at this point like I've read them all and that all the ones that are still on my TBR are kind of stale. You know, I I don't feel very inspired um, to be able to find a spark that makes them uh, come to life on my TBR again and make me more interested in them with our shared 
reading life here. I just, um, you know, I'm always picking books and passing them on to Vern if I think he'll enjoy them. So I would love some books that we could uh, read together, you know, that are new to both of us. Let's revisit the books we talked about. You all both loved Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, mm -hmm. The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro, and Becoming Mrs. Lewis by Patty Callahan. Not for you, Gabby, that was The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. And Vern, for you, it was Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by yep. Mark Twain. And we're looking for, we wouldn't be averse to a classic. And also just books that make you ask, have you ever thought of this? Or that plant an idea. And that could be from any genre. And I can't not keep in mind how both of you have really enjoyed books that have been contemplative, philosophical, have had theological themes, and have had really lovely prose. And I feel like I might toss out several books that make you go, uh, yeah, of course, Anne, because that's exactly <laughs> perfect for us. But if they're not on your radar or you haven't read them, I don't want to miss the opportunity to bring them up. So mm -hmm. I just want to tell you that in advance. And that being said, have either of you read Parker Palmer? I haven't. I I've heard of him, but I, I, I really am not familiar. Okay. I think he'd be an amazing fit for you all. And I think he's also a writer that you could really enjoy talking about together because a lot of what he writes about is about what life looks like to him right now from the perspective of his age. And you all being a generation apart would have different reactions to his work. He's quite a bit older than you, I believe, Vern. He's, his last book came out, oh, maybe three or four years ago, and he wrote it after turning 80. And so he's reflecting on eight decades of life and work. And he is a theological and philosophical writer. But I, I think you'll feel a real kinship with his writing, his perspective. He tells stories from his life and his experience that illustrate truths about this life we're all living in just really memorable, beautiful, poignant ways. I think of his story all the time about him sitting in his Quaker listening circle, making a very important career decision. He was deciding whether or not he wanted to become president of a local university. As they do, his Quaker friends were asking him questions to help him discover the truth of what he wanted to do. It's almost a punchline to that story is so memorable and perfect. And I think about it all the time. Um, this is also work that bears rereading coming back to. Um, you can read it slowly. It's deep and insightful and not at all boring, which not everybody can pull off. I don't think that would scare you, but it might be a concern of some listeners. And yet it has the depth that you could just keep coming back to it again and again. And I think my favorite work of his is Let Your Life Speak. And that's the one that the story about him making the decision to become or not become the university president is in. But that one is all about vocation. And a little bit of the questions he's asking himself remind me of what we talked about for Kazuo Ishiguro, how this man has an identity and he has to make a choice at a certain point. Like, what am I called to be? Am I called to be more? What am I risking? What am I giving up? What am I potentially gaining? Like Parker Palmer is asking those same questions, but he's doing it in a very different way. He's insightful, but he's also really witty. And what he wants to discuss is what it truly means to live a good life and how we should be approaching our days, like what that means for us. But on the brink of everything, I think would also be a wonderful pick. We talked about how at least your first two books, this may be true for Becoming Mrs. Lewis as well, were interestingly situated in time and place and how they seem to be set at these hinge moments of history. On the brink of everything isn't set at a hinge moment of history, but on the brink of everything is Palmer's phrase for being 
80. He writes about how he's just surprised that he likes being old. And he says, welcome to the brink of everything. It takes a lifetime to get here, but it is a stunning view of past, present, and future. And I think he says, like the wind in your face, it's bracing, makes it worth the trip. And so he says he's writing from his old age perspective, but that this book isn't only for old people, of course, but for younger people as well to hear what what that is like and what they might like to know now about the scope of a lifetime. Uh, Some of us are just old souls. And uh, of course, this book would be wonderful for people who relate to that term as well. But it's about developing your inner life and your outer life and finding meaning in the wide variety of human experience, joy, pain, everything in between and everything else. How does that sound to you? I think that sounds great. Fascinating is the word I'm coming up with. That sounds fascinating. I would not have been surprised if you have said, I own every one of his books and they're lined up on my bookshelf and I've read them over (laughs) and over. They're not long books. They're often in small formats, but they are so filled with goodness, or at least I hope that is how you feel walking away from them. I am a little cognizant of presenting interesting tellings of ideas that you're already familiar with, and yet I'm not so scared that we can't not talk about this. Have you all read Peace Like a River by Leif Anger? No. I've almost purchased it at one point, but never pulled the trigger. I think Peace Like a River would be a wonderful place to start. This is a 2001 book. The backstory to this book is really interesting, and I was not aware of it until I was on book tour myself, but this book actually was released on September 11th, 2001. As such, uh, the new books that always are news, there was no news and there was no book tour that began on that September Tuesday. Many, many months later, Leifanger and his wife hit the road and they visited, according to the booksellers who tell me this story, every independent bookstore they had originally been slated to visit that was canceled because of 9-11. And he just endeared himself to all those stores forever and ever. I'm not quite sure how to describe this book because this book is a feeling, and I'm sorry if that sounds esoteric, but it combines so many things to really powerful effect. It's a little bit mystical, which some readers really don't like. I don't think you are those readers, and I do find this to be a book that has wide appeal to a vast number of readers who say things like, you know, I didn't think I'd I'd enjoy that, but oh my goodness, like this is a lifetime favorite for a lot of people. It's tragedy, romance, it's coming of age story. It's narrated by a young boy and it's set in the deep North Dakota winter. You like stories interestingly situated in time and place. This landscape is interesting. It's a story of fathers and sons and tight-knit communities and also outlaws. And importantly, it's about the miracles that happen in the novel, because there are miracles in this novel. Uh, There are debated miracles in this novel, how about? And it's about miracles that happen or don't happen in our everyday lives. And Lee Venger has some thoughts about that. The story begins with the young boy's father being swept up in a tornado, and he's put down Uh, several miles away, comes out of it. I'm doing this from memory. I haven't read this book since it was a modern Mrs. Darcy book club selection quite a few years ago. But he says that he was just struck by how gently he was treated in the tornado. And he lands and he completely changes his life to the great disappointment of his wife, who kind of liked the successful track they were on. And now he wants to do something else. She's not real thrilled about it. In the course of this story, they end up as a family in a desperate situation, and that sets them off on a journey across the frozen badlands in the deep of winter where they encounter things that will change them forever. I don't know what else to say about this, except I think this is perfect for the two of you. 
I do love Virgil Wander for you. It's a little, I wouldn't call Peace Like a River quirky. Virgil Wander is quirky, but it's set a lot closer to where you are in Wisconsin, in Minnesota, I believe. But the title character owns a movie theater in this tiny town on the shores of Lake Superior. I imagine it being near Duluth. I'm not sure if that's because Lee Finger actually said that in the text or I've just situated it in my mind in that place, knowing what I do about him. But I'm just now realizing the similarity to Peace Like a River. He ends up being behind the wheel of a car when it's driven into the icy lake. And after the experience and ensuing concussion, he is not the same. Anger calls this his most religious, but least evangelical book. So you might find that to be interesting. Gabby, I think the English major in you would find the way he plays with the concept of seeing in the book really interesting. For me, I really enjoyed my reading experience, though as we neared the end of the story, it took a direction that I didn't expect, I didn't particularly like, but that very thing could make this an excellent book to discuss with others or in a book club, listeners, if you need a book club pick. That is Peace Like a River by Leif Anger. What do you all think about that? I think that sounds great. All right, we'll give it a try. I don't know where to end. Do we want a new novella that's a little bit historical? No, a lot historical. A memoir or interesting turn of the century North Carolina evangelical priest that asks questions about vocation? That sounds interesting to me. Okay, well, the book I have in mind is one that we've talked about on the podcast before, but I don't think since year one. I'm thinking of contemporary novelist, she's still writing, Gail Godwin and her books, Father Melancholy's Daughter and Evensong. Are these books you all know? No. I've heard of them on probably on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> not for years, though, not for years. Okay, let's start with Evensong, although these books, they're a pair, but I think it'd be just fine to jump in with Evensong. I know you like books that ask big questions, that ask interesting questions for, and well, Gabby, I can tell by your, the books you love that you do as well. So Margaret is an Episcopal priest in a mountain town in North Carolina. And something I like about this book is that when, when I think of like a priest and a priest's work, I think of them like standing in the pulpit and wearing their collar and doing, you know, the very official things. But in this book, you see her doing her more regular duty. She's she's doing the ironing in the church with a volunteer, or she's called upon to go visit a woman whose husband has just died in front of her in a car accident. You see her doing that kind of work that is in, usually invisible to others, except for the people, you know, the individual people who are there in those moments. And I found that to be really interesting. The question this priest, Margaret, is facing at the beginning of this book is, what are we to do when we get the thing we want most in this life, but then discover it might be the very thing that destroys us? So this is set in the mountains of North Carolina. It's very deliberately examining marriage and vocation and calling through Margaret's eyes. And she's she's in her 30s. This has been the thing that she has always wanted to do. And in fact, if you go back or if you want to begin with Father Melancholy's daughter, you'll see that this has always been the thing she wanted. And uh, she goes off to seminary. And in that book, she's navigating romantic relationships and going to seminary and pursuing and clarifying that calling. But in Evensong, she is forced to finally make a decision. I keep thinking of the butler in The Remains of the Day, but she is forced to make a decision about where she wants to go in life when three unexpected and like frankly to her unwelcome guests arrive in this sleepy town. And she is looked to by the town to do something about it. 
And Even Song was first published in 1999. So you remember Y2K and the discussions about the time. It's like very practical things like how many canned goods do you have to more apocalyptic, like, oh, like what's going to happen when it's the millennium? Those fingerprints are all over this book. I do like that for the big questions it asks, but Father Melancholy's daughter is also lovely. And if you enjoy these, Gail Godwin is a literary writer who is still writing. I know we've talked about her most, well, not her most recent, but I know the most recent published novel of hers we've talked about on the podcast is Grief Cottage. So those are Father Melancholy's Daughter and Evensong by Gail Godwin. How do those sound to you too? Those sound good. Yeah, those sound right in the vein of Gilead. That idea of vocation and calling, and you kind of hooked me too with the idea what do we do when we get the thing we want the most and yet it might destroy us? That You kind of hooked me there with that. I like how it does ask questions that are similar to those of Gilead from a perspective of more youth than you see in that novel. The tone of the writing, though, they're not read-alikes. And I'm really interested in how you experience that contrast. Okay. So of the books we talked about today, we talked about, uh, we, you know, we talked about pairs of books every time. We talked about <laughs> Parker Palmer, Let Your Life Speak. And also his newer release, On the Brink of Everything. We talked about Leif Enger's work, Peace Like a River, and also Virgil Wander. And we ended with Gail Godwin, her second book, Evensong, in this loose series. And the first one, Father Melancholy's Daughter. Of those books, Gabby and Vern, do you want to consult briefly or do you want to say what is top (laughs) of mind for each one of you? I might like that better. Gabby, what do you think you might want to read next? The Parker Palmer sounds really cool to me. I'm really interested in those. And Vern, how about you? Okay, I was going to go with Evensong. However, it is a value in us reading together because that way we can bounce ideas off each other and discuss together. I could go with the Parker Palmer. (laughs) Gabby, do you want to pick up on the brink of everything first or let your life speak first? Well, we can figure that out. Uh, Let your life speak sounds great. Well, I hope you all really enjoy it and that you report back on what you think. Gabby and Vern, thank you so much for talking books with me today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for having us. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Gabby and Vern, and I'd love to hear what you think they should read next. Connect with Gabby on her website, mommylikesbooks.com. As always, find the complete list of all the titles we discussed at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 320. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at what should I read next podcast.com slash newsletter. Find us on Apple Podcasts, leave a review of our show there, or send a link to your favorite episode to a friend you would like to read with. We're on Instagram at what should I read next, where we love hearing about what you have been reading lately. And be sure to connect with me on Instagram at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L, for more behind the scenes updates on my own reading life. Make sure you're following our show in Apple Podcasts, Overcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next week, where I'll be sharing readerly recommendations with a guest who's looking to create more real-life connections and conversations with fellow book lovers. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick, with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Roca said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Happy reading, everyone.